All right, welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe. Sasquatch listens while paddleboarding. This is Through the Pines. On this episode, we will chat when to change advisors. So nine considerations when thinking about changing your financial advisor. One, are you on track to accomplish your goals? Two, how will your retirement accounts work together with Social Security, pension, ESOP plans, etc.? How much risk are you taking in your investments and what is the target rate of your return? That's three. Four, have you reviewed your beneficiaries recently and have you worked with your advisor on your estate plan to establish a trust, a power of attorney, healthcare directive, pour over will, et cetera? These are all very important. That's four. Five, will your advisor be able to see you through retirement? Do they have a succession plan in place to make sure you're not looking for a new advisor in their 80s, in your 80s? Um, six, have you, re- have you reviewed your insurance needs to prepare for the what ifs? Seven, do you know how your advisor gets paid? How are they making the money? Eight, does your advisor make it easy to understand financial concepts? Do they speak to you over your head? How are they relaying information to you in a relatable way? And then finally, number nine, do you regularly meet with your advisor or advisors? We will answer these questions dive into this topic and more on this episode of Through the Pine. So let's introduce our guests in Tan Van today, which is, or not Tan Van, but Trailer One, Banyan One, in the studio because normally they call in. So Rex, it's good to have you. Forbes Best In-State Wealth Management Teams for Utah, Baxter, Nelson & Associates, Advisor Hub, fastest growing advisors to watch under $1 billion. Rex Baxter... No longer Nelson and Associates. I'm still throwing it in there. I have it written down as Nelson and Associates, so I don't know what the update is there. But uh, also receivers of the Ameriprise Client Experience Award. Uh, welcome to Banyan One. Like our Facebook page. Follow our Instagram at Pines Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where we are live through the Pines Podcast. All right, so we just dive right in. Uh, how are you doing when it comes to accomplishing your goals? And should your advisor know this, are you on track with with what you want to do? And how like often should you address your goals? Because they probably change as you go through different seasons in your life. Brandon, you want to ch- start here? Yeah, yeah, okay. Brandon. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, and, and that's, I guess, kind of the first question that you should ask yourself is, is do I feel confident that I'm going to be able to hit my goals? I uh, <laughs> I was talking to a client once and and... They told me their old advisor had come out literally with a, a packet, tossed it on the desk, says, looks good. And they're like, and, done. And, yeah. done. Yeah. Party's over. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I trust him, you know, or whatever. And, and so she actually brought the packet into me and, and I read through it and there were deficits. I mean, through the second half of retirement, like the packet black and white and red showed that they were going to fall short. And so that was so looks good. So a packet. What is that showing? Like their plan? Yeah, it's, like going through retirement. I think it's different for every advisor, but okay. this one had you know I'm sure you'd input a, a set of assumptions in and put some of their information in, and then it auto just kind of runs an analysis. Just because an analysis is run though doesn't mean that it's really been analyzed. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so anyway, yeah, this this one and and I, I showed her. I was like, look, it, it says you run out of money in this this and this year, and it even illustrates it with a graph. And she's like, what? He just he just handed it to me and said it looks good. 
You know, and so to clarify, these per- these people don't. This is part of your team, right? This is somebody else. Yeah, this is a, a okay. different advising a different, office, a different company <laughs> different, altogether. Yes. Okay, <laughs> just just wanted to make sure this wasn't like you know, but, someone on your team really messed it up. So okay. no, no, that and but I unfortunately I don't know that that's unique. I, mm. I I worry so often, and and I've seen it myself. Other advisors, you know, don't want to take the time. They don't have the expertise with the software. Um, and so they'll actually literally just ask you, you know, a bunch of questions, say, I'll, I'll come back to you and they'll shoot that information off to some other country or something to have someone else run the analysis. And they come back and they're just like, all right, well, it looks looks good. But unless you've actually run the analysis, Rex and I spend a lot of time in there looking through the cash flows, making sure everything adds up and then trying to explain it to the clients. Right. Because it, it's good. It's good to have a plan, but it's better if you can actually help a client understand the plan because you know there's going to be hard times there's going to be recessions there's going to be times when when clients will second guess what the work we've done right and that's important to be able to have something in place such that you can fall back on that and know hey we we've planned for this we know what's going to happen during a recession and and we can get through this rex how do you help your clients reach their financial goals we help them invest their money and do their financial planning. That's what we, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, well, that's, that's too easy. It's too easy. But it's easy to get off track, right? It's it's really easy to get off track, and it's and it's interesting when we look at other advisors and their work. You know, I I, I truly believe that most advisors really are trying to do a good job, right? And and so and some are some are a little more capable of that than others. Um, some are a little more educated in that than others. And, and so it's interesting when we're reviewing that and looking at whether it's be the portfolio or the planning to, to try and, and kind of re-engineer where they're coming from so that we understand what the, what the original plan was and whether that really makes sense for the client or not as, as the client. Because it's, it's extremely too frequent that a client doesn't understand. It hasn't been explained to them, just like Brandon said, when something's you know, been thrown at them and said, looks good, well, it doesn't look good, right? There's gaps. And, and maybe, you know, and, and we have plans that will have gaps, but we make sure that the client understands why there's gaps, mm-hmm. where the gaps are, and and what we need to do to fix those gaps, mm-hmm. if that's a priority to them. Some people say, you know what, I'm I'm going to live the way I want to live today, and I understand that there's gaps, and and I'm going to address those down the road, whether that means... I, I'm, I'm down with that kind of lifestyle. <laughs> Give me the gaps. <laughs> but, no, specifically, I, I had one just the other day, right, where we looked through it and we said, all right, if if he dies prematurely, if he passes away in the next five years, you're going to need to reduce your lifestyle from, you know, by $500. And, 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 that, and then that gives them a, a decision to make that, mm-hmm. that we're, we're, you know, really indifferent on. It, it's do we want, we can pay for insurance, which in this case would have been kind of expensive, or we can just assume the risk and say, all right, if, if this happens, then we understand that we have to pull our lifestyle back down to this. And that's not so bad, right? You've lived on that before. It's, it's not, it's not a crazy number, but just be, be aware of that and be conscious of that. Is that a gap? Sure. You know, but, but it's a gap as long as you understand it then then it makes sense and then if something does happen if someone comes down with a disease if someone passes away suddenly and unexpectedly then then the surviving spouse isn't worrying you know and saying oh my gosh like where am i is my whole future in in jeopardy they know they probably don't remember the numbers but they remember that hey we've we've planned for this and and this is you know we'll get through this 
Very good. Okay, so make sure that your financial advisor is helping you accomplish your financial goals. Number two, if you're ready to move on, how will your retirement accounts work together with Social Security pension? Now, this is where it gets complicated. So how do you take someone's financial, um, like their investments, and then compare it with, use? I'm assuming, some software programs, and then just plug in their Social Security pension ESOPs, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So there's a lot of complex software out there. Right, that can run those calculations for us, and so we can we can put in the Social Security estimates, and we can put in, you know, all of their assets and the allocations of their assets, and then see how that's working together, so that we can get to a point, uh, a kind of a break-even point of where does it make sense to take that Social Security, and and there's never because you can't predict the future, you can't tell me how long you're going to you know live. Um, then, then there's never a perfect answer going into it, right? And so you're just assuming that okay, I'm I I'm going to assume that I'm going to live to to X age, to 88 or to 92, based on you know my DNA and my and my family history, and and so I'm going to think that I live that long. Therefore, my break even is 87, and okay, maybe I'll go ahead and take it now because I think you know chances are I'll live that long, but there's a good chance maybe I don't either. And and so they'll kind of weigh that back and forth. We'll have an opinion for them as to what we think that they ought to do and a suggestion. But at the end of the day, this is this is their life and their decision. And so, so, we so I'm going to expect every financial advisor to actually have access to that software. So is it a matter of asking, like, if they're using it or how, like, you know, what separates what you do maybe with someone who's not paying attention to to that particular um, calculation. So I think the majority have access to software mm-hmm. of that nature. I, I don't know necessarily that the majority either enjoy, like, or know mm. how to use the software. Okay, fair. And and I think that's the difference. And that's why you end up with reports that get thrown on your desk that say, oh, it looks good because mm-hmm. that's not really their cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And and you want an advisor. But that's your cup of tea. That is absolutely our <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> so so I, I ran into one yesterday, yesterday or the day before, where that had been done by another advisor opposite scenario where where they they hadn't paid attention close enough to the software and they they were actually required minimum distributions were throwing surpluses Mm. through that they hadn't planned on like i could see that they they just missed it and because i could see the recommendations they made and so they told the client hey you can either live on this lesser amount or you can live on more but it's going to deplete your assets well, that's an incomplete picture, right? And that, that I, I feel bad for the clients, right? Because now the clients are like, oh my gosh, we got a budget. We can't take this extra trip. We can't do this with the grandkids. We can't do these things we want to do because if we do, we likely run out of money. And 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 that's almost as tragic as, as telling someone they're good and they're not good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's the it, there are a lot of comple- complexities and it's more than just throwing numbers in and saying, hey, how does that look? You've got to build this plan out and then look at report after report after report and see this financial plan in all different aspects, going through all different types of markets in order to really be able to um, to help a client understand their situation and the capabilities they have and the limitations they have. Because that's what a plan is. It's not, it's not telling you what to do. It's helping you understand your scenario and your situation such that you can fully live your life to the maximum, you know, possibility that yeah, you no, can get the most out. Yeah, not have to worry about that. I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's also a, it's interesting because a lot of people will 
will say, "Oh yeah, we're going to do a financial plan on you," and they and they generate this, you know, nine hundred <laughs> on page you. Book. That sounds like <laughs> it is. It's, yeah, okay. it's like a colonoscopy. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> oh, that didn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> so, so they they generate this, you know, couple hundred page book, and and they give it to you, and they think that you're going to read it. And, and the problem with that is that it's, it's out of date tomorrow. Mm. Right. And, and so, you know, life happens. And so you need to be able to, to continue to update and modify and, and double check your trajectory to make sure that you're on track and that you're headed in the direction that you want to go. And I think that's part of, of being able to evaluate an advisor as to, are they really engaged in the planning process with me? And is it a, a team Kind of approach to where they're engaging me, my wife or, or husband, whichever it is, and you know my professionals, my my estate attorney and my accountant, or are they just asking me for you know bullet points of data, and and putting together some sort of random recommendation that that may or may not really be applicable to me. Which I mean, more people are going to say, well, my my AI whatever told me to do this, and they're going to challenge. Your job probably on that side of things so that'll that personal relationship with with your clients and just meeting with them and having those conversations i feel will be more important to you over time have you thought about that or? oh i i think that'll be critical over time i yeah. think that you know ai is going to be it, artificial intelligence right mm -hmm. is going to to disrupt a lot of industries and ours will probably be one of those industries that disrupts for a lot of advisors the the one thing that that ai at this point struggles with is is kind of the psychology of it mm -hmm. and and right. behavioral finance and right. understanding you know where people are coming from and their priorities and things like that it's very good at crunching numbers and very good at scouring the internet to to grab stuff and and throw it in Which front is of why you. i've heard cpas better watch watch out yeah so so that that's one area that'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see um you know again a lot of industries will be disrupted okay so this one kind of Number three sort of harkens back to number one, but how much risk are you taking in your investments and what is your target rate of return? This is something that I would see would change over time and potentially change often depending on what's going on in the economy, uh, world world events, and your age or something that happens to family. Um, so again, where number one was are you on track with accomplishing your goals, but then that can change with questions like this, right? Like how much risk are you taking and do you need to change that risk factor at any point in time and how often do you address that brandon all the time with our clients but but i think more specifically you need to know what type of risk are you taking right if, if you want to grow your money um in in a meaningful way there, there's risk you know taking risk isn't a bad isn't a bad thing as long as the amount of risk is calculated and understood um it, i i run across portfolios all the time that you know they've they've literally just gone to their 401k and picked like whatever fund did the best last year. And and they're taking on immense amounts of risk because they're really not diversified across asset classes. And they're, they're hyper-focused maybe on technology or, or focused on one sector because they really didn't understand how to build that portfolio. And, and, and unfortunately, they don't realize that until it's too late. And, and our portfolios, I mean, I take great comfort in the diversification of our portfolios, not only just in various stocks and bonds, but across different asset classes and sectors. And I mean, we really cross-examine these portfolios from multiple levels to the point that, you know, if we go into a deep, deep recession, which, you know, will eventually come, um, we can confidently ride that through, right? Because we've really built those portfolios 
um, to, to be quite robust. Now, mm-hmm. you know, nobody can predict the future. Nobody knows. But when you're in a really robust portfolio, you can do that. Other portfolios, not so much, right? Like if, if you're if you're hyper-focused on one stock or a handful of stocks or one sector that's going under, you may not be able to ride that out. And you might have to be asking yourself the incredibly difficult question during a downturn of, do I just do I just get out of it? Do I cut my losses? And that that emotionally and behaviorally can be one of the hardest things you can do. And so I, I, I think understanding what type of risk you're taking and the re, and the return that you're expecting for that um, is is incredibly important. And you should understand that with your advisor, right? You should talk to your advisor and say, all right, if we went into a 2008 scenario, what does this look like? And and how does this work? This is a conversation I'm constantly having with my clients of, hey, if we're getting close to retirement, here, how much do we need to make sure we've got set aside in, in less volatile assets, assets that will be able to kind of support the portfolio distributions as you work your way through retirement? And those are really important conversations to have. I think I think risk is interesting. Just to to take that on for a second, because I think that, you know, somebody's core core risk tolerance, what they can handle, doesn't change drastically over their lifetime. And I, I so, was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, because keep keep going. I, you know, how people assess that and how it changes. So I I think an example of that right is I. I think, Brandon, you've been up Angel's Landing in Zions Park. Have you been up there? I don't dare. Okay, so there's so that's a great example. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so for those that don't know, Angel's Landing is a is a extremely, I guess, dangerous hike. People die on it every year. Exposed. It's, got, it's exposed. extremely exposed. Right. Thousands of feet drop. You know, as, as you're hiking up, and 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 is extremely scary. And so if somebody's scared of heights, right. They're not going to change and all of a sudden, three years from now, say, oh, I want to go do that. Now, they can train to overcome those fears, and I think that they can do that in the market, too. The other where, question is the, the people who are young and ambitious, and they think they can do it, and they get halfway up, and they're like, this was a bad idea. And that's what I think you would run into more are people who are young, late 20s, early 30s. They feel like they're risk-adverse. They're good to go. And then a the down market hits, and all of a sudden, they're not as risk-adverse as they thought they were. Right, and, and that's a great example because as soon as you get into the downturn and they change their mind, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't – when I said I'm, I, I'm risky, I want – 20% returns. I didn't realize that meant 40% losses yeah. sometimes too. And and so that's where, you know, a, a good advisor is going to run through a lot of examples and a lot of times we'll use examples of not only percentages but dollars because dollars tend to make a lot more sense to people mm-hmm. and and it becomes more real when when they're picturing that. And so when when an advisor says, "Hey, look, this investment may average 7% over time." What does that mean? That means that some years it may be up 20, some years it may be down 20, but over time, you know, through all of those, it may average 7%. But can you handle that 20% down? And and people say, oh, 20%, because it's a percentage, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. That sounds really, really easy. And so when you start to put that into dollars, you're like, okay, well, if you have $10,000, if that goes down to 8,000, can you handle that? And they're like, oh yeah, $2,000, I can handle that. Well, if it goes from 100,000, down to 80,000. Can I handle that? $20,000. That's like half a year's worth of income for, you know, for somebody sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, ooh, I don't know. And then and then you take that up a notch and you go, well, if we're at a million dollars and we lose $200,000 in the span of 3 months, how do you feel about that? 
and and all of a sudden the you know the eyes glaze over the face goes white and you know heart palpitations <laughs> yeah and, you yeah. know those those kinds of things and so when you start correlating percentages to dollars i think that's a good practice for people to try and evaluate okay on the downside everybody's happy on the upside right we know this most people are you know if, if they make money they're they're excited um, but on the downside is where it it hurts and so that's that's one way to quickly gauge how you know, aggressive you can really handle. I like when the billionaires lose like 2% and they lose billions of dollars and it doesn't even phase them because they're... Because they're billionaires? Yeah, because they're billionaires. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I wish I had 10 bi 20 billion to lose 1 billion, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. 10%. Good problem to have. 2%, whatever. Yeah, it is a good problem. So the reason I don't like Angel's Landing is I had a family re reunion in Zion National Park when I was young. And I woke up from a nightmare that I was falling from one of the cliffs. Oh gosh! And so the cl the cliff faces in Southern Utah have always made me nervous because I I didn't even know what like climb. I'm like I woke up from the dream like why was I at the top of the cliff to begin with? <laughs> but that's so Angels Landing is down there in Southern Utah and things because we rock climbed. Yeah. To, and that and I didn't I, the mountains don't scare me. It's the cliffs in Southern Utah only because that one dream you're wild right? Yeah, it's that's wild that, that it's long. stayed with you forever. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Did you have anything else on that? Well, just I I love the analogy because can you climb? Can you hike Angels Landing safely? Absolutely, right? They've got chains set up. When you do that hike, I mean, it's it's incredible. It's incredible to me that more people don't die. I mean, you're watching. I was watching people <laughs> run run around. Their shoes are yeah. literally untied, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just stuff that like jumping around the other. I mean, the and it goes back to you know, there's there's certain risks that that have returns and then there's some risks that are just crazy mm. and it's the same in a portfolio you know we can we can take risk safely um but 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 you know the, you never know and that's true of all anything in life however if you put certain safeguards in place and you have a plan and, and you stick to things it's amazing how how safely you can do dangerous things but but so. if your advisor isn't regularly meeting with you yeah. and isn't regularly reviewing the risk that's in in the portfolios that you have and and kind of retesting your thought processes then then that's an issue because what's regular quarterly monthly yearly what's regular so i think every client is different we have some i, I think it's up to the client as to what regular means to them whether yep. that's quarter semi-annual or annual or trimester or whatever mm -hmm. whatever period they want and and part of that is probably dependent upon the amount of money that you're dealing with and how close to your goals they are the closer to your goals, you probably need to meet a little more frequently than than if you're 40 years away from your goal. Mm -hmm. um, but but I do think that too frequent we see a lack of communication from advisors to their clients, especially during extremely volatile market periods, which is counterintuitive, right? That that's when you would think that your advisor would be in the most contact with you, um, but actually the opposite typically happens to where a lot of advisors. Um, I, I don't know if they have deer in the headlights or they're, you know, the, the phone weighs a thousand pounds or any of these other analogies, but, but lots of times they, they struggle calling some of their clients because the portfolios are down and they don't want to call the client with bad news, mm -hmm. um, that the portfolios are down. And yet that is absolutely the that best time. That seems totally normal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it does, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but really that's the best time in the world to check somebody's risk tolerance. Mm right to yeah. how are you feeling yeah are you about to call me and panic out and make yeah. you know a terrible but if you call move? them first that's huge because then because they're sitting at home like oh i don't know i should probably call my person and then the phone rings and you 
you're like, hey, let's chat. I would feel way, I'd feel much better about that than having to call you and bug you and right. say, hey, well, here, here's how I'm feeling. Yeah. yeah. So I and and again, you know, nobody's perfect at that, and I'm sure I'm sure our team isn't perfect at that either. We try and do a really good job. So hopefully our clients are, are happy with that. We do, but um, but it it is a it is the struggle is real. Okay, so again, this is a lot about review. I'm seeing the trend already. Reviewing your beneficiaries and have you worked with your advisor on your estate plan, established trust, power of attorney, healthcare directive, all that. And we talked about this on a previous podcast where someone won't go revisit their beneficiaries and, you know, their their ex-ex-wife gets the bennies. Which, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes. Yeah, so how often do you meet and talk about updating beneficiaries? So, so we try to do that every year, right? It's okay. built into part of our review process. And so we try and, because lots of times it's just a quick, hey, this is how it is. We have spouse, kids, or, or trust, or whatever it is. Um, is that still appropriate for you? And we have a, a five-minute discussion and, and kind of move on. Um, a lot of people just kind of skip over. I, we were looking at, at one plan, one one you know new client that's coming on board, and, and they had been um divorced and remarried and on the stepmom's accounts right it had spouse and then kids assuming that it would go to the adopted kid or non-adopted but the stepkids she hadn't adopted them but they were stepkids Ooh. and and she said well it says spouse and kids and yeah i wanted to go spouse and, and my stepkids. it didn't say which kids it just said kids yeah a lot of them are generic okay. like that and that's very common in the industry to to just kind of let at at the death prove who the kids are, who's surviving and what's interesting. Kids are. It doesn't say Susie, Joe, whatever it's some says. do so, and some don't. It's okay. it's you know and and, and we can. And it, we can it, do it either way. Yeah. Right. And and so but in this case it needed to be that way. Mm-hmm. We needed to have, you know, Susie and John listed individually or whatever the names are, because they legally are not her kids. And so if she passed, it wouldn't go to them. It would end who up just died recently where the the will was found crumpled up and like a written it was like a written piece of paper in the couch literally in the couch cushions and they just went to court famous person died it is to to say like this is actually what she wanted to happen in who the things are supposed to go to did you guys hear i, I don't story? I, I don't okay i don't think I'll i've heard that story but there are a lot matter of fact on one of our podcasts maybe it'd be fun to <laughs> to look because there's a lot of celebrities that have passed that don't have appropriate state planning and and to look through what some of those celebrities need to call state you. plan is yeah <laughs> might be kind of interesting at some point okay uh brandon anything to add no it just that we're not i mean we're not estate planning attorneys but we we deal a lot with estate plans in fact before i came on with rex i was thoroughly impressed with how much rex you know really gets into the estate planning and, and it's it's appropriate right it's, i'm getting into some estate planning today you'd well, always ask me all these questions like what are you talking like i know yeah what a trust is but holy cow we're, this is going deep so anyway it's good it's good to go through and 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 pair your investments with your estate plan and make sure that everything works together and that you know the pros and cons because sometimes sometimes it makes sense to just leave a kid as a beneficiary on an ira and other times it makes sense to leave the trust as the beneficiary. And so we like to have those conversations with our clients and make sure they understand, again, kind of reoccurring theme, make sure they understand the pros and cons of each decision and, and let them make that decision. I'm trying to find it here. I'm scrolling. I saw it, but I, I don't know where it went. So, um, okay. So beneficiaries do need to be updated and meeting with your advisors would take care of that. Yeah. I, I, I guess just people just don't meet with their advisors enough. Like what's the deal? 
Well, so I, I again depends on the advisor whether the advisor has a good process, a good you know client service model, and a good client service process to meet with their clients. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was more of a transactional business, and so people advisors would call their client, they would buy a municipal bond or buy a stock, mm. and they would just talk a little bit about you know the account and because you had to right, like you couldn't necessarily do that on your own that was the way they made money yeah Yeah. like 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 40 years ago that was kind of the business yeah okay right back in the in the 70s and 80s and and before and beyond and and so i think as that's kind of migrated into into more you know portfolio management and and looking at modern portfolio theory where you're analyzing risk that's that's kind of brought up that service and the expectation of being serviced by your advisors and and yet still we get some advisors that are saying, hey, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna service the heck out of my top ten percent of my clients, and then it kind of lacks on down below, and so, it, you know that that can be an issue with some advisors too. Is maybe you're not in their top ten <laughs> percent. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I've seen advisors who who literally, and it's it's interesting, right? Financial advisors are usually fairly business savvy and numbers oriented, but I've seen advisors who are already well beyond their capacity to take care of clients, and will go out and buy more clients. Literally, just buy them. And and you know they're not even going to call them, right? And and well, they're and, expanding their team. See, well, but that I was you know taught it. And that's what they—that's the plan, right? I'm going to yeah. buy them, throw them at the walls, and they know a certain percentage will stick, right? And they'll collect some income off of that, and and and, and not plan to ever call them or call them or, or receive a call and try and help them if they call them, and and it's a, it's a business model. It's not ours, right? But it, but yeah. it's a business model, and 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 I think the numbers work on it. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I'd feel bad. I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot, lot of different kinds of business models out there, but I think that's important for you as a client to understand what that looks like and if that's a match for you and what your expectations are. Brandon, do you have more some more numbers? I do. Okay. Yeah, here we go. This is your favorite part. I need a little do 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 do. Yeah, more numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is a firm unbiased. They did a, a survey. This is just this year. Um, in 2023, and they uh, so a third of respondents felt that felt confident in their financial knowledge. So only a third of people felt com- and they had a they had a variety of things. They asked them from banking to credit cards to stock market investing, um, things like that. But only a third of them felt confident in their financial knowledge. 29% said they lacked the confidence um, due to not being taught the topic in school, and then. Um, 82 but this is this is what was crazy for me 82 percent of respondents said that they felt too intimidated to ask or seek financial advice because they're going to get made fun of like what's i i don't know i i I think sometimes people worry about cost Mm. right like what is it going to cost and that we've done podcasts on that that would be good to reference um but yeah i i think people worry that it's going to cost too much Oftentimes, people feel like they don't have enough assets to ask the question. Or made fun of because they're spending, they have a lot of debt or I something. I think sometimes it's an ego thing too, right? They, yeah. they don't realize it, but but they don't want to come across as being unknowledgeable or yeah. uneducated. Or they come across as, oh, I did something stupid, 
right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that sometimes it's that issue. Let's just say I'm good at that, so don't don't feel <laughs> bad. You know, like put it out there. Yeah. yeah. So that I mean, really, the only way we know how to work with clients is we we throw everything on the table, we talk about it, right? It's kind of a no judgment zone, and and we are where we are, and we just start from there and and moving forward. But it is it is interesting because I think that because of that fear that clients have that 82 percent i think that they don't ask their advisors and their advisors make the the wrong assumption a lot of times that they're not asking because they do know Mm. and and i think that that's a a recipe for disaster yeah so yeah and and what's scary about it is is if you're not asking the questions the things that can be missed Mm -hmm. and and significant things that we see on a all too frequent basis where i just you know, if we could have had the conversation, if I would have known this person 10 years before, right, we could have really changed their life. And, and, and without sacrificing a whole lot, right, just simply making a couple tweaks to allocation, to tax status. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can do mm-hmm. um, to make a meaningful difference down the road. And if you're not asking the questions, it's going to leave you behind. I mean, there, you can't, some things you just can't come back from, you know, if you don't get it right. And, and so it's important to ask those questions. I think it's okay for clients to say, I don't understand that. When when an advisor is explaining something and they're saying, hey, look, this should average X, what does that mean, right? Yeah. What does average X mean? Does that, in a in a 2008 year, what what can I expect? Because there's probably another year like that out there, you know, somewhere. And, and so asking those questions and just making sure that you understand what things look like you know, I, I think it's important and I think people need to ask those questions. And if your advisor isn't or if they're a little bit cagey about it, that should be a warning sign. Yeah, I could see that, too, because they'll probably uh, use a lot of jargon that you might not be used to, you know. And then uh, if they feel like if a question is asked and then like you lose your, you know, you're like, oh, okay, let me go over this. Let me start over. Then that, Then I don't want to ask another question. Right, no. right. If they if they give you an eye roll and yeah. and they're and they feel bothered, right? Yeah. They make you feel like you're bothering them to answer those questions, and I mean all of that. And and, and give your advisors a little bit of slack, right? Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they <laughs> right. I mean, give them a chance or two. But, <laughs> so. Sometimes Rex feels bothered. <laughs> <laughs> He's catching it already. No, Rex <laughs> doesn't. Rex doesn't ever. <laughs> I'd be shocked. I, I I think people do try and cover up lack of knowledge though. Sometimes with with act, you know, pushing it off, and so. Well, that's the other flip side of it. Yeah, too is just using jargon because it, just to sound like they know what they're talking about. Right, maybe just they get don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you guys have just recently went through. This is our, our next um, step or th- th- thing to consider here. You just had an advisor retire. We just had more. Oh, drive-by. I think somebody's cutting down a tree near our yeah, campsite. Yeah. So <laughs> we must be by some Who fired loggers. up the, ch- the chainsaw? Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> we are in the woods. Um, okay. So you had an advisor retire. So will your advisor be able to see you through retirement? Uh, do they have a succession plan in place to make sure? Because Rex, now you're getting old. So then well, you got the young nice. buck Brandon here. <laughs> Rex promises me he's got 20 years left, right? Rex? Get this official? You bet. <laughs> or close. We, we still Plus got a minus. with Rex. Plus Rex is, I, Rex is going to be like, I can't give up. I can't stop working. Uh, he's going to work forever. So, But what is the succession plan? Because yes... Advisors retire. They they do retire, and I think that you know that can be extremely disruptive, 
at the later you are in your life. Yeah. And and so a lot of times you just assume that the person taking over for the previous advisor has the capacity, the knowledge, the interest in taking care of things for you. And and that's not always the best assumption. Sometimes it's literally a financial transaction of your departing advisor just trying to sell his practice and trying to cash in on his retirement mm -hmm. and trying to get you know the most money for that. And and then the new advisor coming in is, you know, going to try and, and he's got to pay for that practice acquisition somehow, right? And so and so there's there's a lot of questions there that that need to be answered as far as, you know, how are they doing it? Why are they doing it? But if there's not a plan in place, like and, and like, you know, Brandon said, I, I brought Brandon on years ago now because I do want to make sure that our practice has a succession plan going forward for our entire team. Mm -hmm. And and we want to make sure that there's that continuity so that we don't have a disruption for our clients, you know, 20 years from now. Is that what you said? <laughs> 20, 20 years from now when that eventually occurs. At least 15. So it's a ways off. It's a long yeah. ways off. I, I'm not even, yeah, yeah that's, that's not the, even on my radar. That's the flip side of it is as I came on, people were like, uh, is Rex retiring? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> better not be. <laughs> Okay, very good. So yeah, make sure your advisor ha like ask the question. What's the succession? What happens when you're not here? Right. Right. Okay. Yep. Uh, have you reviewed your insurance needs to prepare? This is all about reviewing. Apparently, this episode. So, <laughs> reviewing. But these are the different things you should ask your advisor about. And if they're not considering these things or asking asking you these questions, that's when you might need to consider changing advisors. So, uh, insurance needs and preparing for the what ifs. How often should that be addressed? depends on the client you know so younger clients it's easy to to grab some like a term life insurance or something you know you have your disability insurance through work it's it's different for everyone but you can usually review it and and let that go you know for a few years and we might touch on it here and there um it it, it really just depends on 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 the client but it's important that you should be able to have those discussions like the story i shared earlier right where where you understand where you're at do i have enough insurance do i have too much insurance and and i've got clients there too right that have more insurance than than i think they need right but they're like i want to hold on to it for a little bit so much insurance i should be worried about somebody pouring no, stuff in there no <laughs> no but but insurance has a cost to it right and so we don't want to pay for an extra cost if we don't yeah. need it and but sometimes people get attached to it, you know, and they're like, man, I've had this for 20 years. I've had this for 10. Like, I, I just want to keep it another few years. And, and that's fine. Right. It, it go, going back to, all right, how much are we paying for it? What are we getting from it? And is that worth it? Um, I, I do think that on the insurance side that you want to work with an advisor that matches your personality a little bit, too. And so some advisors are are kind of there there's in insurance there's kind of two general big camps right you have buy term insurance and kind of invest mm -hmm. the difference in premium that you would have paid had you bought permanent insurance and then you have the other camp of let's buy permanent insurance and then we can borrow against that in our retirement um, if we need additional cash flow and and there's two and those camps are very very different mindsets and and you'll have advisors that feel very strongly about one versus the other and, and you want to make sure that that kind of matches up with your own values, your own beliefs. And, and if, they're, if it doesn't match up, then make sure that they're thoroughly explaining it to you, to your satisfaction, to, to kind of get you comfortable with the direction that you're going to go. 
otherwise you should look for an advisor that's gonna gonna be more in that camp yeah and so okay does that make sense yep totally Okay, so next one here, what considerations when, when you should change advisors. Um, do they have fancy boots? What Was this even on the notes? <laughs> oh, I, I put that on the, just, this that, oh, yeah. just this morning. Just this morning. Oh, okay. man, these guys are terrible. <laughs> these guys are terrible. <laughs> okay, uh, no, have you reviewed? Oh, this is the intro, sorry. Do you know if your advisor, how your advisor gets paid? Well, they all get paid. So how does your advisor get paid? And why does that matter, Rex? Well, I, th I think it, I think it's really important that you understand how they get paid, and it matters because there could be inherent conflicts of interest, mm. right? And so if they're getting paid based on the transaction, which a lot of advisors do, or a lot of advisors have a hybrid model to where on some products and services they get paid on the transaction, and on other products and services they're getting paid kind of an annual fee or a what, what we call an asset-based fee or something along those lines, and and on the transactional side it can be less expensive for a client over time on occasions. Mm -hmm. On occasions, it can be a lot more expensive. And so you need to understand that. You also need to understand that if it is a transactional based, then what's the motive behind the advisor coming to you to make that transaction? Because there's a fee associated with that and that's that conflict of interest. And so you need to make sure that you thoroughly understand it and that the advisor can explain it you know, in, in great detail to you on whichever side he's on or on both sides if they're, if they're kind of a hybrid advisor. And, and I think, again, that's a fair question. And a lot of advisors kind of shy away from talking about fees and what they get paid and how they charge. And a lot of clients feel awkward asking an advisor how they get paid because it's not like it's posted like a McDonald's menu. You know, hey, here's, you know, a Big Mac for... Not the worst idea, though. 249 <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so it, it is hard to kind of, to, to some extent, to post that as advisors just because so many situations are unique. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a lot of kind of tweaking of, boy, this may take a lot more time for this client than this client because of the facts and circumstances. And so it, it's hard to just throw something out there. So most advisors will kind of throw a range out there, but then when they're actually meeting with that individual client, you need to know the specifics. You need to know exactly what you're paying for and how. Okay. Very good. Uh, does your advisor make it easy to understand financial concepts? We sort of covered this a little bit, but how do you ensure your clients are understanding what you're talking about? Review. Lots of review. <laughs> Just yeah. in, but really, I, I think specifically in planning, because planning is one of those areas that can be a little bit harder to understand um, all the concepts of it. And so I frequently, even after, I mean, we'll do the plan, we'll go through it, we'll get everything in place. But then we'll come back and they'll usually ask me, yeah, well, what about that mountain charter? What about that? You know, and, and we'll go back and review the same material multiple times in multiple meetings mm -hmm. because I, I think that's what it takes to really. And each time it's fun because each time you can usually see they're grasping another concept. They're getting it a little bit more <clears throat> until finally they feel really, really confident with with what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, but I do, I think it's, I think it's review and, and, you know, it's fun. I was writing these questions up in the high Utah mountains, up in the Aspens at, at a camp, right outside my trailer. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like this. Weird. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, but as I was writing these, I was like, man, can all of my, you know, do all of my clients, can they answer confidently yes to these? And, and, and I guess I, I, I feel really good that I can say, yeah, we've been through these, mm -hmm. but man, you forget stuff, you know, and, and that's why the reviews are 
are so important. That's why we set up these reviews and to, to make sure we're meeting with clients, make sure that, that they're on board, that they're, that they're understanding why we're doing what we're doing because they're, they're complex strategies. And just like that, just like the small numbers, right? Like a lot of people don't understand mm-hmm. what's going on. And so, and so having these reviews really is so important to make sure and, and, and making sure clients feel comfortable asking those questions. Hey, can we review that again? Can I figure out how again is this all going to work in retirement? Where's the income coming from? What expenses have we planned for? Um, I think it just takes multiple times going through it, not just throwing a packet on a table. Sure. <laughs> There's so much jargon. Yeah. I, I remember early in my career, and you might get a kick out of this, Brandon, <laughs> but er, early in my career, I was sitting down with a, a brand new client, and, and they just come in, and we were kind of going through their their holdings um, in the accounts. Were you alone or did you have an advisor with you helping you? So I had I had my partner Paul with me okay. at the time. And so um, it was the two of us together. And and so, but but I was kind of leading the meeting and, and we were going down through the holdings and there was this one holding that he had just sold and it kind of showed up on there. And I said, can you explain to me a little bit as to why you sold this particular stock? And he's like, well, my advisor said that it was in the third Fibonacci set with a double top. <laughs> I'm like, okay, and what does that mean? <laughs> to you and he's like uh don't you know <laughs> like, well i know what a fibonacci is and i understand that and i know what a double top is but do you know i understand the jargon i get the jargon but do you understand the jargon and he's like no <laughs> yeah. and i'm like well what did he put you into and he's like well he put me into this other thing because it it looked like a, a triple bottom that was crowning and I'm like well, what does that mean and i and how does that impact your portfolio and how does that impact your so he knew the verbiage but didn't know what it meant necessarily yeah he could regurgitate the verbiage yep. yeah. right yeah. um but had no idea what it meant but he yeah. thought his advisor was brilliant because of the jargon right and 100 and yeah. so it must be good if right. it sounds complicated it's got a name but you knew the jargon you, but you I keep, did know the jargon, okay, and yeah. and I and I and I understand. I mean, again, we're both I don't know what highly Fibonacci educated. Is. What the hell is a Fibonacci? <laughs> so, so there's there's an actual Japanese tool called a called a Fibonacci calculator. It kind of kind of looks like a like a protractor a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it it kind of measures. It's a measuring uh, stick from point to point, and and it's supposed to be a little bit predictive, in theory. Uh, about you know market trends or stock trends or pattern trends not even not not even market but just charting trends okay and and so uh, you know there's there's a school of thought that you could put together a good portfolio by utilizing this to measure when you're buying and selling stock did you know that you can like find water with this thing that just <laughs> i've tried that have you tried that yes i have does oh. it work oh i've got a story about that. <laughs> I don't know. i've got a story okay. about that yeah. maybe but not for me <laughs> what are those called a, i just a, a water witch a water so, witch <laughs> so i just had a client purchase some some real estate yeah, about forty acres that he's going to build uh, a facility on, and and he it didn't have any water, any water access. And I'm like, how are you going to have a building? He's like, oh, well, I took this water witch out there, and they pointed right where the well should be. He pointed two spots where the well should be. And I'm like, and you bought it first before <laughs> testing? And he's like, oh yeah, these guys are good. And I'm like, water water witch guys are good. And and well, hey, hey, anyhow. There was a well there. It was deep. Yeah, they're really it, yeah. amazing. It was deep. It was like 450 yeah. feet um, <laughs> if down. You, if you wow. dig deep enough, don't you eventually hit water? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess you hit an ocean at some point. But do you think those <laughs> sticks really picked it up 450 feet? Down? I I don't know. But there's there's definitely. I mean, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of history 
right in in people you know and finding a lot water of underground that way widgets and I have no idea. apps and um i mean there's a lot of software you can buy that all does that stuff with your finance finances so um you know to close this out i guess so then why do we need you rex because i have good boots no <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice boots no i'm just kidding but i i think again i you know we are highly educated. We do a great job of financial planning. We do a great job of managing money and a great job of working with clients to manage their, their behavioral finance uh, nuances. And, and I think if you're trying to reach your goals, then I think our team does a phenomenal job of trying to evaluate where you're at, what it's going to take to get you there, and helping you to understand how much risk and, and what needs to happen in order to get you there or something has to change, right? We talk all the time that there's only so many variables you can control. You can control how much money you save or how much money you spend. You can control when you hit your goal. So when you retire, whether you're gonna work longer or, or not work longer, and you can control how much risk you're gonna take. But when you boil it down, those are the variables that you have control over. And, and so we do a really good job of helping you understand those variables and working through the combination of those variables to make a plan that's going to work for you. So this is nine considerations to nine considerations to consider nine considerations when changing financial advisors. And then finally, it's the one that we've repeated multiple times is do you meet regular regularly with your advisor? Um, you know, what sort of software do you guys use to make sure that you're, you know, so-and-so doesn't get lost, I guess, that you continually meet with, with all of your clients on a regular basis. So over the years, we've used a lot of different kinds of software. We've used ACT, we've used Goldmine, we've used a lot of different, there, there's a lot of different kinds of software out there. Currently today, we're using uh, Salesforce as our, mm -hmm. as our customer relationship, you know, customer service model manager is what we're using today. So. But kind of two, two main things, we have people set up on a reoccurring service model. And, and so our clients are set up and, and like Rex said, they can direct, do you want to, I've got one client, he's like, I don't want to talk more than a year, right? It's like literally one fairly quick appointment once like, a year. As nice as you are, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what, if that's what you want, you know, he's yeah. like, I trust you. I have all the confidence in the world. Let's just, you know, yeah. and, and then other clients will, will be more than that, you know, quarterly or, or, or whatever the client needs. And so we've got that pre-scheduled on our calendar so that we don't miss it. And then we also have reports, right? Because sometimes people miss an email, they miss a phone call, they miss a meeting. And, and so we can go back and look and say, just search and see who haven't we talked to in the last six months and make sure that we're getting to people. And that's, that's a good way to make sure that we're actually talking to people. And then once we meet with them, we actually, we do have a, it built out. If we're meeting quarterly with a client, the first quarter of the year, we want to cover these topics, right? Many beneficiaries and, and uh, you know, there's various estate planning, things like that. Um, insurance. Um, if we're meeting semi-annual, then, you know, first half, second half. And then if it's just an annual meeting, it's all in, you know, all in that one meeting. And so we, we try to make sure that, that there's a very methodical way to get through it so that we don't, we're not just sitting down chatting and missing stuff. Rex, anything else to close out the show? No, I think, I think these are all great considerations. I think as, as you're evaluating your relationships, that, that you look at them. I, I would suggest that, you know, if, if an advisor or somebody's missing on one of one or two of these, that you just have a conversation with them first and say, look, you know, here's, I, I'm not understanding this, or here's a gap that I'm feeling. Can we fix this? How do we work it right? I mean, I, I don't think any team or any advisor is infallible. 
I think that, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And I think a good open dialogue and a good open communication between an advisor and their clients is important. And I think both the advisor will appreciate it. And I think both of you will leave and have a better and a healthier relationship um, going forward. If those changes don't occur, then maybe it's time that you start looking at, at others, right? Yeah. And, and obviously, we would love to be considered. So. Awesome. This has been Through the Pines. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams. <laughs>